This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello and welcome to the latest Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel as we bring you a preview of the weekend's huge game against Manchester City. I'm your host Matt Addison and I'm delighted to say that I've got Manchester City fan brand writer Alex Brotherton alongside me to give Blood Red the lowdown on Pep Guardiola's side and get the view from the Etihad Stadium ahead of the game. Alex, welcome back to the Blood Red podcast. It's been a week of big, big games for Manchester City ending with this huge one against Liverpool. What's the feeling at City heading into this one? Yeah, as you say, it's been um it was kind of termed the week of hell before we before we got going. And in truth, it's not it's not gone terribly. It's uh it started really well, obviously, with that with that win that we had against Chelsea on Saturday. I think that performance was quite unexpected. A lot of City fans were quite pessimistic out of that game, given the fact that we'd lost to Thomas Tuckle's Chelsea uh, three times last season. So that was really encouraging. Obviously, things didn't go according to plan on Tuesday night in Paris. We lost 2-0 to PSG. Wouldn't say City played particularly badly, just missed a lot of chances. Same old, same old. When you've got Lionel Messi in your side, as you saw, the uh, the, the sort of unbelievable can happen on a fairly regular basis. So I think, yeah, it wasn't. it's by no means the end of the world. And yeah, so I think... I don't think City fans are ever confident heading into a trip to Anfield. We all know the absolutely horrendous record we have playing Liverpool there. Um, so I think it's maybe mixed emotions, not feeling super confident, but it, by no means are we sort of fearing the worst looking at a third defeat in a week, obviously, because we uh, we, we got the win against Chelsea. So yeah, looking forward to the game and uh, it should, it'll be a tough one. I've got no illusions about that, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling confident, but I'm not, I'm not sort of quaking in my boots either. I thought City, to be fair, were, were really, really good against Chelsea last weekend. Uh, obviously, they were playing at, at the same time as Liverpool midweek, so I haven't watched that one. But maybe slightly less good, would it be fair to, to say, against PSG? And I suppose after those two big games, is there a bit of a worry that this game is, is the third one out of the three? It's it's a big one and there might be a, a little bit of, of fatigue and, and tiredness that, that comes into play at all? Yeah, I don't. I don't think in terms of fatigue and tiredness, I don't think those will be particular issues. I think um, Pep made two changes uh, to the side that won at Chelsea, uh, and those were both in the attacking sort of area of the pitch. So Raheem Sterling uh, and Riyad Mahrez came in for Gabriel Jesus and Phil Foden. And in terms of the attacking play, City, it was a fairly good performance. It wasn't at the level of the Chelsea game, obviously, but one of the things that Guardiola highlighted. Uh, after the the defeat on Tuesday was that perhaps his side weren't quite as intense uh, with their pressing and as direct with their forward play. And he did say that that was likely because of the of the personnel that he chose. Phil Foden and Jesus are players that do like to press that a little bit more. They are slightly more direct, whereas Raheem Sterling um, and, and, uh, and Riyad Mahrez and players that like that aren't quite as sort of intense with the press and whatnot. So that could be one of the reasons uh, to explain why the the attacking performance wasn't quite as fluid, wasn't quite as dangerous um, against Paris Saint-Germain as it was against Chelsea. I think defensively, I think we were pretty solid against PSG. Perhaps you could say that uh, Aymeric Laporte um, perhaps was a bit slow to get out to Kylian Mbappe uh, when he put the ball across goal uh, and obviously Adrisa Gay um, a name that will be familiar to Liverpool fans from his time at Everton. Um, 
before he smashed the ball into the into the top corner. But then with the second goal, I mean, it was I don't know if you've seen it because you were watching Liverpool, but uh, it was a counter attack. City obviously were chasing the game at that point. Killian uh, Messi brought the ball forward, played a lovely one-two with Mbappe, whose whose layoff back to Messi was just exquisite. And then Messi does does that move that he he's done so many times in his career, but it's just impossible to stop. He just first time curls the ball into the corner of the net, and yeah, two nil game over. But so yeah, I think it was uh, yeah, it wasn't as good a performance as against Chelsea. And City had a lot of chances. Um, Raheem Sterling hit the head, uh, hit the bar with a header uh, from a superb De Bruyne cross. He probably should have done better. And then he was offside, but Bernardo somehow managed to miss the rebound from about three yards out. So I think he probably would have been given offside anyway. But Still, it was somewhat worrying that he didn't hit the target from there. Um, and I think there was a few other chances, but in fairness, uh, Donnarumma made quite a few decent saves. Um, so there's still the same question marks about whether City are being clinical enough. They clearly aren't. They had a much higher expected goals uh, than PSG and they still didn't manage to score. So that's a slight concern heading into Liverpool game, but I think we will see. Um, I think we will see Phil Foden come back into the side, and I think we will see Gabriel Jesus as well, uh, because I think in a game against Liverpool, I think being a bit more direct, a bit more vertical, and having that bit more pace in the attack is really going to come in handy. So, yeah, the performance wasn't as good against Paris, but it was by no means a bad performance. It wasn't a dud. When we're not heading into this with our confidence absolutely rock bottom or anything like that so I'm not too concerned heading into headed into Sunday's game you mentioned Gabriel Jesus there and he's an interesting one because he started to, to play on the right hand side at times this season is that mm -hmm. something that you'd expect at the weekend and, and what's what's the kind of thinking do you think behind him playing in that role when City don't really have a, a recognized number nine apart from him yeah well it was um it was somewhat a surprise, to be honest, to, to most City fans. But I think it was after the Norwich game, I think, uh, early in the season where we won 5-0 at the Etihad. Um, he started that game on the right wing. And obviously, when the team news came out, everyone just thought, oh, OK, he's up front today. But no, he started on the right wing. Um, and after that game, Pep Guardiola pretty much said that is where he's going to play from now on. Um, he said that he prefers Ferran Torres. And obviously, Ferran Torres hasn't played in the last few games, but when he does play with a more sort of out-and-out out number nine, he thinks that Torres is a bit more direct. He makes those sort of direct runs towards goal to run on to, to passes, whereas he thinks that Jesus makes more kind of runs down the wings. He prefers to play in the channels than as a number nine. He's a bit more... Um, he's direct, but more so in a, in a, wing, in a winger kind of way. And if, when he plays in the centre, he's more suited to sort of dropping back and joining in with the build-up rather than making those classic number nine runs into the six-yard box. So I think that's that's largely why he has been preferred as a winger. Um, but it's important to note that this isn't a brand new position for Jesus. He has played there quite a bit for Brazil over the years. Um, in fact, he's more often than not plays there for Brazil rather than an out-and-out -out number nine. Um, so he's perfectly suited to the role. And I think he's shown that yeah, for City, he actually does play better as a right winger. He has he's built up good relationships with the likes of Kyle Walker on the right hand side and Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva when he's been on the right as well. Um, so yeah, I think if he plays on Sunday, which I think he will, he'll be in that right wing position. I don't expect he'll he'll suddenly drop back into the centre and play as a false nine. I think for most, I can see him on the right, probably with someone like Phil Foden playing as a false nine in the middle. I think that's the most likely 
uh, option that we'll see. Obviously, Phil Foden did very well uh, when City won at Anfield. I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, when City won there last season, Phil Foden played very well. Uh, not as a false nine. He was actually on the right wing uh, in that game. But I think we'll see a return to, to, to Jesus playing on the right-hand side. Um, and I think he's proved that the right wing is, is somewhere that he's good at. He's impressed. There's no reason for him not to come back into the team there. I think it was just more of a keeping things fresh for the Paris Saint-Germain game with Liverpool in mind at the weekend. I think it was just about conserving energy, saving legs, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we'll see him see him on the right wing at Anfield. And on the, the left-hand side, presumably, that will be Jack Grealish, the name that was on everyone's lips during the summer after that £100 million move. Has he properly got going yet what's the kind of early verdict on him so far at city yeah i don't think he's um i don't think he's i don't think anyone would pretend that he has reached the very sort of peak of his of his powers that he showed at, at aston villa last season and or or at times uh, for england at the euros um but he has really impressed so far i think perhaps a psg game was the first game where i wouldn't even say he was bad he was just it was just sort of an average evening for him he wasn't didn't really do that much. There was perhaps a few uh, moments where he could have made a pass or made a certain move and it didn't really come off for him. Um, it was definitely a frustrating evening for him, uh, especially given he didn't seem to get on with the referee too well. There was quite a lot of um, sort of fouls that probably should have been given that the referee kind of just waved play on. And you could see Grealish was getting quite frustrated um, in the run-up to him getting substituted in the in the second half. But yeah, in all his games this season for City, he has really impressed. He's not... If you were to just look at it from a pure stats point of view, he's not like racked up that many assists or goals, but it is clear from watching that he is providing something different for City. He's providing a much more direct kind of outlet on that left wing. Um, and Phil Foden did did similar last season, but it's a different dynamic with, with Phil, uh, Foden being left-footed. He would often get to the byline and whip in a really like, um, a really good cross, whereas Grealish likes to cut inside because he's right-footed. So on that left wing, he'll cut in, he'll take a shot, he'll play a ball into the back post, um, he'll send someone on the overlap like Bernardo or Cancelo. Um, so he's had a really good uh, start to the season and, and he has actually built up a really unexpected partnership with Bernardo Silva. I think, obviously, everyone knows Bernardo wanted to leave the club in 2020. He wanted to leave this summer just gone as well. And I think a lot of City fans and, and neutrals as well probably expected that, OK, City are bringing in Grealish for £100 million. They're going to have to offload Bernardo. He wants to leave. Why would they not? In the end, no suitable offers really came in from him. So he stayed. But they've, they've formed a really good partnership on the left side of that attack. And Bernardo's not playing like a guy that wants to leave. I, everyone knows his, his attitude has always been fantastic at City and he's always going to put in top, top performances. So I think... Grealish has formed a great partnership with him. Um, he's formed a good partnership with uh, with Gabriel Jesus on the other side. Uh, they're always sort of linking up, playing balls across a pitch, uh, the pitch to each other. Um, so I think, yeah, he's been he's been good. There's still a lot more to come from him, but I think he's he's already proved that he was um, a really good signing to bring in. And yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely see him start on the left uh, on Sunday. He's definitely nailed that position down so far. So I think we'll we'll see him line up there again on Sunday. I don't know if this is maybe a, a slightly view from the outside or a controversial one at all, but I think for me looking at it, obviously Harry Kane was was a big target during the summer as well. It, it seems a little bit odd to me that, that City didn't prioritise spending that money on Kane rather than 
going for, for Grealish just because of, of the other players they've got in their squad. Is there a concern at all at City that maybe there's a couple of gaps that, that haven't been filled in, in that squad because of, of Grealish coming in? Or, or is that maybe a, an unfair way of, of looking at it, do you think? Um, I think... I think in terms of why City went for Grealish first, because, yeah, it does look a bit like, well, if you, if all you needed to do to get Kane was offer a bit more money, then maybe you shouldn't have gone for Grealish. But I think it was that the Grealish there deal was there. It was it was easy to complete. They just had to meet the release clause, and that was that. Whereas with Kane, I think they always knew that it was going to be difficult to negotiate with Daniel Levy. Um, and I think by City's calculations, had they made a sale, um, they were expecting to offload Bernardo Silva. They probably would have been able to 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 go higher with their offer. Maybe it was bad planning. I don't know that that it, it rested on on uh, selling someone in such a, a strange sort of COVID affected uh, transfer market. It didn't happen. Kane didn't arrive. Um, but I think it's it's a tricky one with the striker situation because every time now City don't score. It is always going to come back to this narrative of, well, why did you not sign a striker? City clearly need a striker. And I don't think it's that clear cut. Obviously, there have been games this season such as, well, probably the PSG game on Tuesday. Um, maybe the uh, the nil-nil draw with Southampton a couple of weeks ago. Where you could see an out-and-out striker like Harry Kane, um, a, an elite poacher, finishing off some of the chances that City have wasted. Because it's it's not like they haven't been creating chances it's just been a similar story of just not taking them. But then you look at performances like uh, the win at Chelsea on Saturday and the way that City played in that game with the intense pressing, the the almost double false nine that they played with uh, De Bruyne and Phil Foden playing as the false nines. With, with, a, with an out-and-out striker in that formation, City can't dominate the game the way that they did. So I think it's, it's a compromise. You either you bring in a, an out-and-out striker... Uh, for these big games um, and perhaps you score a few more goals. But taking the Chelsea game, I think with an out-and-out striker, they don't control the game like they did. City absolutely starved Chelsea of possession in that game and, and really sort of forced Chelsea's sort of to only really have counter-attacks as their chance of scoring. And even then, they didn't look that dangerous. So I think if City have an out-and-out striker... Chelsea probably have more of the ball in that game and probably create more of their own chances given the quality of the players that they have. So it's a, it is a real sort of um, conundrum as to whether the striker would is a benefit. Obviously, it would be it would be good to have a, a more out-and-out goal scorer in the building. And in some games like uh, the draw with Southampton a few weeks ago, it probably would have helped um, because that wasn't a game where City particularly needed to dominate proceedings. But... Yeah, I think it was It was obviously the club wanted to bring in Harry Kane. That's no secret. Pep Guardiola really wanted him. Um, that's why he was willing to um, go against his better judgment and bring in Cristiano Ronaldo when it looked like, when, when, it, when the Harry Kane deal was off. Obviously, that didn't happen either. So Pep was obviously desperate to bring in a number nine. Didn't happen. I'm pretty certain they will sign one next summer. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. Uh, I'm kind of the school of, I would rather sort of dominate games and control games um, than just sort of have a striker that you pump the ball up to and, and try and score as many goals as possible. But the other the other view is perfectly acceptable and I can see the merits of both. So, yeah, I'm sure if City come end the season and they don't win the Premier League or they don't win another trophy or, or whatever or they don't score as many goals, then it will come back to, oh, they didn't have a striker. But 
yeah, I think it's um, we'll, we'll just have to see. I think playing with false nines is 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 a perfectly good way to go. They did it for a lot of last season, and they won the Premier League and got to the final of the Champions League. So, yeah, it's frustrating maybe that they didn't get the business that they wanted to get done, but it's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. And at the other end of the pitch, it obviously helps if you're not conceding many goals. And that's certainly the case for, for City this season. Even PSG, I think, were limited to only three shots on target in that game. So there must have been something that, that's changed for City. Is it better pressing? Is it better quality of defending overall? What What's the kind of situation at the back? Because it seems like City are kind of at their peak in terms of, of defensively at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Um... At the minute, in the Premier League at least, uh, the, the partnership of Ruben Diaz and uh, Imeric Laporte is on course to be even better than the partnership last season of Diaz and John Stones, which I don't think anyone thought was going to be possible given how good they were together last season. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's down to a couple of things. Obviously, Ruben Diaz is just back to his brilliant best. He, he wasn't great at the Euros after a good season for City, but he's come back and he's already back to his absolute best so so that's a big that's a big bonus I think Imerick Laporte has really upped his game to to well obviously he has to keep his place in the team ahead of Stones because I think he was one of the players that was a bit unsettled and would have fancied a move away over the summer but he didn't get it he's coming to the team and he's been really solid and yeah I think also Rodri um Rodri is a big part of it obviously I think not all City fans have been entirely convinced by Rodri since he arrived in 2019, but this season he's he's already looking like he's a lot more mobile. He's looking a bit more agile in the middle of the field. He's um, he looks a little bit quicker and he's he's playing a lot more intelligently. He's playing those forward passes when they're available, rather than always looking to go sideways or backwards, which he kind of did a lot in his first season and maybe half of last season. Um, so I think he's providing more of a, a sort of um, assured presence in front of the back four. So I think that always helps. Um, and I think, but yeah, I think it's largely just down to the fact that City just keep the ball so much. It's at the end of the day, if the other team doesn't have the ball, they can't score. So I think that's that philosophy that Pepper's kind of instilled in the team. Obviously, he's always going to is lend is going to lend itself to keeping clean sheets and keeping tight at the back. But yeah, I think Imeric Laporte uh, playing as well as he has done. Um, is obviously having a big impact on, on the defence. And yeah, I think City, are, as you say, I think they're in a probably a, the best position they've been in for, for years and years in terms of defenders because even last season, Laporte and Stones were great, were great, but Laporte never looked that comfortable when he came into the team. But now they've got Laporte and Diaz starting. I'm sure that if Stones, when Stones gets his chance, because he will do, um, he'll just be as good as he as he was last season. So yeah, defensively things are looking really great for City, and I think it's nice when you don't have to rely on just scoring lots of goals um, to win games. If you can do it by scoring, but also having having that sort of calmness at the back, um, it's always great. So yeah. You mentioned Pep Guardiola there. There's been a, a bit of, of talk about his future and, and how long he might stick about at, at Manchester City recently. I know his contract is until 2023, Jurgen Klopp 2024. So there might be a bit of a change at, at both Liverpool and Manchester City over the next sort of two or three seasons. But what's the, the sort of feeling on Guardiola? Is there a kind of countdown to 2023 when they might need a replacement? Or is there a, a case that he might actually end up sticking about a, a little bit longer than we first thought? 
Yeah, it's um, it's not really. It doesn't seem to have become part of the city discourse as as much as you would have thought. Obviously, it was a. I think it was a few weeks ago, or maybe back in August, where um, those quotes from Guardiola came out saying that uh, he would probably leave City at the end of his contract, and he wanted to go into international management and that kind of thing. Uh, but then there was a fairly swift backtrack on that, and he, he kind of said that, well, I don't know, like I might do, I might not. I was just saying that when I leave, this is what I'll do. So it's not really clear cut what he wants to do. Um, I don't think there's been any sort of moves to tie him down any longer yet. But I think maybe there is a general sense that, yeah, okay, come 2023, he will have been at City for seven years, which is longer than he's been at any club before. Uh, the longest he'd ever been was four years at Barcelona. So um, I think City fans, by then, we will have had seven years of Guardiola. I think, obviously, a lot of City fans, myself included, would like to see him stay forever. But um, I think, yeah, it's... I'd say his relationship with the fans is largely still good. Obviously, that was there was the, the whole saga a couple of weeks ago um, with the with his comments on attendances and empty seats and, and all the like. But uh, I don't know... I, it, his comments, in my opinion, were a bit bit out of line. I think he he's he's made that kind of those sort of jibes in the past about trying to get fans to come up, and there's all sorts of circumstances and and reasons why for certain games attendances might not what might not be what he'd like, uh, particularly in European games. But I don't think he really needed to, to to delve into that particular one, but he did. And uh, but it's water under the bridge. Uh, we we went on and uh, and won at Chelsea a week a week or so later, so everything's kind of forgotten in that sense. But I think it's yeah, I I won't be surprised if twenty twenty three is when he when his time at the club comes to an end. But there's not really. I think City fans are kind of just thinking that's that's a long way in the future. Let's not think about that yet. But I'm sure the club will will sort of come up with a plan, a contingency plan, if they don't persuade him to stay for longer. I've no doubt that they. Their, their number one target is to get Pep to stay beyond 2023. But if not, I'm sure they'll have a decent list of um, of candidates to come in and do the job. So, yeah, not really. I don't think there's been that much talk about it so far, but it's uh, it's obviously something that's not that far on the horizon. You mentioned his comments there about the, the empty seats and, and things like that. I mean, that to me was a, a really strange one. It, it sort of looked like there was a bit of a, a strained relationship. Was he almost fortunate in a sense that City have... Have had that good result against Chelsea, and, and that kind of changed the the tide and, and and what people were talking about because it did feel like a, a strange attack on his own supporters at the time, which not many managers would dare sort of speak out against their own fans. Yeah, I think it's just yeah, it was just a bit, a bit of a weird one because I think, as you say, most managers wouldn't, and I think that's that just tells you about how much kind of credit in a way, Pep has in the bank because City fans know he's the best manager we've ever had. The club are never going to go against him. And why would they or why would the fans when like the football that he's brought to City, the success that he's brought to City is just unparalleled, really? So, I mean, I think it was right that City fans held him to account. Obviously, you had the City fans that will always defend Pep to the hill no matter what he does. And I don't necessarily agree with that because at the end of the day, he's the manager of a football club. He doesn't have the right to question the supporters. He does the job um, and we're forever grateful for that. But yeah, we pay to watch the team. We'll go to the games we want to go to. He doesn't. He shouldn't really be criticising fans for, for whatever financial decisions or, or whatnot they make. Um, but yeah, I think... 
I think so. I, yeah, it's it's a it's an episode which shouldn't have really happened, but it did. Um, I thought he was wrong to call out the uh, to, to call out Kevin Parker, the the head of the City Football uh, Supporters Association, as he did. Um, I don't think that was necessary at all. Kevin was just uh, sticking up for the fans that 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 Pep was sort of criticising. So I thought that was a bit unnecessary. But yeah, I think it was it didn't need to happen. Um, but as I say, it did, and I think it's it's not something City fans will easily forget. They're not just going to pretend it never happened. Some will, of course, but um, a lot of them won't. But I think with Pep, sometimes he just has this tendency to to sort of say things that don't really need to be said. Like, of course, it doesn't look great when 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 he looks around and there's so many empty seats like the like there is sometimes. But then it was a bit weird because it it didn't really seem to be that many empty seats for the for the Leipzig game when he made those comments, but. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, yeah, most managers wouldn't do it, but Pep does, and that's just—I guess—that's just part of part and parcel of having Guardiola. He does have these little moments where he likes to have a dig for some reason. Maybe he just needed to get something off his chest. I'm not sure, but um, we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him for that one. If I'm sure, if come the end of the season, there's a title in the, another title in the cabinet, and maybe another run to the Champions League final or whatever, then we'll probably won't even remember that happening in September. So, so yeah. And just to finish, then, it wouldn't be a Liverpool against Manchester City game without a question about Raheem Sterling. It doesn't seem like it's been the easiest start to, to his season, maybe not got the minutes in the role that he would have liked, perhaps, so far. How is it going for, for him and should we expect it to see him at Anfield, do you think? Yeah, it's been a bit of a weird start for him, um, especially given how good he was at, at the Euros for England. I kind of expected him to come back uh, and just sort of hit the ground running, given... So he didn't have a great second half of the season for City last year, went away with England and was fantastic. And so, yeah, it just seemed logical that he would continue that form. But no, as soon as he got back to Manchester, he's just sort of um, shied away a bit and not really got to full speed whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's just a bit of a strange one because he's kind of lost his left wing position to Jack Grealish because Grealish has has well, he's the new he's a new guy around. He's, he's a big signing, but obviously, but of course, he's just been. He's been playing well, so why would you drop him? Um, Sterling has got a lot of competition on the right wing. He doesn't normally play on the right, but Mares and Jesus have not really given any reason for them to be dropped either. He's kind of been restricted to playing in the center central uh, striking position as he did against uh, PSG. Uh, in a game in which he wasn't bad, but he, he did struggle a bit and he wasn't really playing as a false nine. He was playing more of a striker. And up against uh, Kimpembe, um, he just sort of, yeah, struggled a little bit. Didn't really have much uh, much to feed off. And physically, he was sort of out-muscled a little bit in that game. So, yeah, I think he's he's had a frustrating start to the year. He's not really shown much signs of uh, kicking on and that he's going to sort of uh, come to the fore anytime soon. But, I mean, for his sake and for City's sake, I hope he does because, as we've seen and as Liverpool fans will admit, as much as as um, you you don't like him anymore, basically, um, he is a fantastic player on his day. Um, but yeah, I I don't think if I was going to pick the best City team at the minute, he wouldn't be starting against Liverpool. But you never know with Pep Guardiola. Um, in in seasons gone by, he's seemed to bring Sterling in for for Liverpool games when he's not been in the team on a few occasions. Um, perhaps that's maybe he thinks that this is a it's a tactic to sort of rile Sterling up a bit, get him in front of the, the Liverpool crowd. Maybe that'll bring the best out of him. But 
if I was to pick City's strongest team, I think I'd definitely go with Jack Grealish on the left and uh, Phil Foden or maybe even Ferran Torres as the number nine if, if Pep wanted to go with a number nine. Um, so I don't think that Sterling will start, particularly given that he started against PSG in the week. I don't think he'll start against Liverpool. But if he comes off the bench, then um, there will be nothing sweeter than him scoring in front of the cup, uh, as he did last season. But this time with fans, it would be all the more sweeter from a City perspective. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, certainly plenty of options for City and Pep Guardiola to choose from. We'll just finish them with a score prediction. I think it's a really hard one to predict. I'm going to go for a slight 2-1 Liverpool win. I think the crowd might just help them get over the line. But what's the the view from Manchester City? Obviously, I wouldn't expect you to pick a a 2-1 defeat. (laughs) No. um, Well, I mean, okay, my my sort of conservative prediction would be 2-2. But if I'm being optimistic, uh, I think I would go with like a 2-1, not to copy you or anything, but I think I would go with a 2-1 <laughs> City win. I think it's, I don't think we're going to see the sort of free scoring like games that we have seen. So I don't think it'll be like a 4-1 to City like last season or or a heavy win for Liverpool like it has been in years gone by. I think it will be quite close. So yeah, a 2-1 or a 2-2 for me, I think. Yeah, it should be a really, really good game at Anfield. And of course, you can follow it across the Liverpool Echo, liverpool.com and Blood Red in all of the usual places. For now, though, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the build-up to the game and goodbye. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.